Welcome to the sermon podcast of First Alliance Church in Lexington, Kentucky. The sermon you're about to hear, The Next Day, was preached by our high school pastor, Dan McPherson, on Luke chapter 9. It was recorded on February 26, 2023, and is a part of our continued response to the Asbury outpouring. My name is Dan McPherson. I'm the high school pastor here at First Alliance, and we're kind of finishing up a little interlude between series. Next week, Paul is going to start a series on Romans, uh, but this week I've chosen the title, The Next Day, and we'll be in Luke chapter 9, Luke chapter 9. So if you have your Bible, turn to Luke chapter 9, whether in hard copy or on your phone. I would encourage you, for those of you who normally just sit there, um, which is fine, um, I, was, I was reflecting the other day, when I preach, I really like people who are like active listeners, you know, like nodding, smiling, and then I realized that I don't do that when I listen uh, to messages, so I would not enjoy preaching to myself. But for those of you who normally just sit like I do, I would encourage you to pull out your Bible because we'll be flying through the chapter 9 of Luke, and so it'll be helpful for you to have it with you. A lot happens in Luke 9. We're not going to read the whole thing. I will read a little bit uh, and pieces here as we go, but let me just start at the beginning, Luke chapter 9. In the first section, Jesus sends out the 12 disciples into the surrounding towns to preach the gospel and to heal, which is a big deal because Jesus gives them power and authority over all demons and to cure diseases. So kind of put yourself in the disciples' shoes as we go through this chapter. This is a big moment. They've been watching Jesus do all of these things, and now they get to do that as well, which is really exciting. Then all of that happens, and Herod, who if you remember, he beheaded John. He now hears about Jesus and everything that's going on. And so he starts to hunt for the disciples, which is terrifying. So then you have Jesus feeding the 5,000. Maybe you know that story. 5,000 men, probably 15 to 20,000 people total. And so that's a big moment, a miraculous thing. The disciples excited. Then Jesus, Peter says, You are the Christ. So Jesus says, who do the crowd say that I am? They lift off a couple of people that Jesus is not. And then Peter says, you are the Christ. So this is a big moment for Peter. Peter, this is a success. Jesus commends him in that. Then Jesus says, I'm going to die, which if you're a disciple, that's a, a low point, low point. So you're following this rabbi. He says, I'm going to die, which is uh, discouraging. And then he says... Anyone who would come after me, deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. So I'm going to die, and also you take your cross, and let's do this together. So that's a low point as well. So then we get to the next section, which I'm going to read verbatim. It'll be on the screen for you, but I'd encourage you to read along in your translation of choice. Now, about eight days after these sayings, deny yourself, take up your cross, follow me, he took with him Peter and John and James and went up on the mountain to pray. As he was praying, the appearance of his face was altered, and his clothing became dazzling white. And behold, two men were talking with him, Moses and Elijah, I thought they were dead, who appeared in glory and spoke of his departure, which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. So this is a crazy moment. Three people talking about Jesus 
forgiving sins with two people who had died a long time ago. Now Peter and those who were with him were heavy with sleep, but when they became fully awake, they saw his glory and the two men who stood with him. Crazy, awesome, insane moment for these three disciples. As the men were parting from him, Peter said to Jesus, wait, master, it is good that we are here. Let us make three tents, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah, not knowing what he said. As he was saying these things, a cloud came and overshadowed them, and they were afraid as they entered the cloud. And a voice came out of the cloud saying, this is my son, my chosen one. Listen to him, hearkening back to Jesus' baptism. When the voice had spoken, Jesus was found alone, and they kept silent and told no one in those days anything of what they had seen. So this is a literal mountaintop moment. Can you imagine being Peter, James, and John? All this glory, Jesus in his dazzling glory, two dead people who are very famous to the Jews. This is craziness. So they have this experience. And then Luke Luke writes, if you've got it in front of you, verse 37, on the next day, when they had come down from the mountain, a great crowd met him, Jesus. And then to continue on, Jesus heals a boy who's possessed by a demon, which sounds really good, except that the dad throws the disciples under the bus and says that the disciples could not Uh, cast out this demon. So um, they're feeling bad about themselves. Then Jesus says, oh, I'm going to die. So yeah, let's just talk about that more, Jesus. So then the disciples have this silly childish argument about who is the greatest. And Jesus comes in and says, you silly, silly boys. Then after this, and this part um, doesn't make sense to me, but Paul will preach on this next week. A, uh, someone says, that there's a, someone's casting out demons in Jesus's name, but will not follow them. And Jesus says, don't stop him for the one who is not against you is for you. Doesn't make sense to me. Talk with Paul. He'll be preaching on that next. Then a Samaritan village rejects Jesus, which is sad. Jesus doesn't seem to be too um, uh, deterred by that. But James and John see this and they say, Lord, do you want us to tell fire to come down from heaven and consume them? So literally, he's wanting to Sodom and Gomorrah this place, which if you look back at the beginning of chapter 9, I think they're a little bit too big for their britches because James and John, they've been given power and authority over all demons to cure diseases, and now they're like, man, we can do that. Let's just nuke this city because Jesus has given us all authority. And Jesus says, I think that's a little bit too extreme, and he turns and rebukes him. And then we finish with what was read for us earlier. Foxes have holes, birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Follow me, but you need to leave the dead to bury the dead. Follow me, but do not look back. So again, not a great moment for the disciples. If you can see throughout Luke chapter 9, there is this roller coaster of emotion. Sorry, Catherine, I was supposed to do that. I missed a slide. Um, You're the best. Catherine Pyatt, Pro, pro, yep. Um, All right. So you can see there's this roller coaster of emotion. You live through the disciples. So you have these highs and these lows, these miracle moments, these casting out demons, mountaintop moment, very high. And then, oh, I'm going to die. Oh, take up your cross. Oh, don't look back. Leave your family. Leave the dead. It's this up and down, up and down. Why did I take you through that? 
Because this is our own experience in life. Yes? Mine, at least. And I believe that Luke 9 is especially relevant for us at First Alliance right now because we've just witnessed an incredible mountaintop moment. The outpouring at Asbury has been an unbelievable experience. And I know some of you have been over there every day, worshiping, helping with logistics, taking out trash, refilling toilet rolls, praying with people. Many of you have been over there at least once to participate, to see what's happening, or to help in some way. Some of you haven't made the trek to Wilmore, or Thrillmore, as I like to call it, but you have heard stories from people who have gone, either in our church or in your circle of connections. Maybe some of you are like, wait, what are you talking about? But my guess is very few, because over the past three weeks, people have experienced God's glory in new, fresh, and remarkable ways. And I don't know if you caught it, but when Peter, James, and John are on the mountain, Peter, in classic Peter fashion, putting his foot in his mouth, he says, and I will uh, give a short synopsis, Dan version, hey, this is awesome. Let's camp out here for a while. And then Luke writes this, if you were following along, he says, not knowing what he said. And some of your translations may even have that in parentheses. One commentator suggests that Luke is so embarrassed by Peter's naive and childish response to this beautiful moment that he's trying to justify it, that he's trying to cover for Peter. Surely he had no idea what he was saying, but I think he actually knew exactly what he was saying. I wonder if Peter, in this dazzling, beautiful, glory-filled moment, remembered that Herod was hunting them, remembered that Jesus had said, I'm going to die, remembered that Jesus said, take up your cross. And he said, I like this moment a lot better. Let's stay here for a while. And coming out of the revival, the outpouring that we've seen over the last two weeks, I wonder if the temptation, and maybe you felt this yourself, is, hey, this is awesome. Let's camp out here for a while. But they don't camp out. They don't even stay in the auditorium on the mountain for two weeks. The next day, they come down the mountain because that's the reality. After every awesome, amazing experience, there's always the next day. One commentator writes this, Peter suggests that they build three booths, tents, and stay there forever, enjoying the light and the glory and the ecstasy. Instead, they return the very next day to the valley and the needy crowds. That's where Jesus felt he belonged. That's where you and I belong. We can't live on the mountaintop. Jesus moved from the mountaintop to the valley of need because that's where the gospel is relevant. What's happened at Asbury isn't something that we've only heard about on social media or read about 
on Fox News or the New York Times. This was in our backyard. And however much or little you've been affected by it, a mountaintop moment has happened 11.2 miles down the road. And we, as a local church, are uniquely positioned to do something about that. I was talking with someone the other day who lives in Missouri, and he was saying, yeah, I was thought about driving up, and I thought, man, I did drive down. It was a little shorter. So what do we do? How do we move on the next day? How do we not capitalize, but continue the momentum of what has happened? How do we return to the valley of need? How do we navigate the roller coaster that is life with Jesus? Traversing the dazzling glory, miraculous feeding moments, but also the put your foot in your mouth, take up your cross, don't look back moments. As I watch Jesus in Luke chapter 9, I believe the answer to moving forward is life on life discipleship. Mentoring, that concept of spiritual parenting that was talked about a couple of weeks ago. Meeting with someone one-on-one or in a small group. Intentional interactions, intentional conversations. Peter, James, and John had this amazing experience on a literal mountain. Light, glory, dazzling, unbelievable. But that was only one experience that they had with Jesus. It was an awesome one. But it was only one. One of countless teachable moments. Countless interactions with people on the side of the road. Watching Jesus eat, drink, sleep, teach, encourage, rebuke, play, laugh, cry, walk. To watch Jesus live life. And he intentionally brought people alongside him. They took him under his wing to disciple them, to mentor them, to teach them, to show them how to live life with God. Many in our community, many in our church, maybe even you yourself have had an amazing, powerful experience with God the last couple of weeks. Maybe you accepted Jesus for the first time. Maybe you spent sweet time worshiping and praying with the masses. Possibly a dazzling, glory-filled experience. Maybe even a miracle moment. But it's not the only experience we should have with Jesus. It's not the only experience and moment that you should have. It's one of countless moments There's so much more that Jesus has for us. He says, come and follow me. We need someone to come alongside, to mentor, to teach, to encourage, to sharpen, like Proverbs 27 says, iron on iron. In a word, to disciple. The word disciple can be confusing. There are many definitions. We throw it around a lot in Christianese language. But here at First Alliance, we define a disciple as someone who listens to God, obeys him, and helps others do 
the same. And this stems from Jesus' commission to his disciples in Matthew 28. Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And if you've been around for a little while, you'll remember that in November, we cast a renewed vision for First Alliance moving forward. We retooled our mission, vision, and values. And our vision statement is, we envision a loving community of disciple makers serving and reaching generations with the gospel in our city and around the world. And each word was chosen with care, was wrestled with. I was on the team that came up with this, and I spent a lot of my life coming up with these words, picked with intentionality to communicate who we want to be as a church. And we want to be a community of disciple makers. So I want to speak to two groups of people in the room. You will probably fall into one of the two categories. First, for those who had an encounter with God in some form or fashion these past three weeks, or you follow Jesus, are you being discipled? Is someone walking alongside you, mentoring you, helping you debrief and unpack things that you experience with Jesus, both good and bad? Are they, do you have someone who's encouraging you as you move forward? Obviously, Jesus is with you. The Holy Spirit is in you. But it's pretty clear from Scripture, from Jesus' example and countless others, that we need another human to be journeying with another Christ follower as we navigate the roller coaster of life. Are you being discipled? If not, find someone. Reach out to someone who is a little bit ahead of you, a life stage in front, who you look up to, who you respect. Maybe someone who they have a faith that you're like, man, I want that. Reach out to them. Ask if they'll mentor slash disciple you. And there's not a cookie cutter answer for how this should look. It can manifest itself in a lot of different ways. And I'm a great example of that. For me, when I asked my mentor to be that for me, he made it very clear that he would love to do that, but he could not commit to a standing weekly lunch or coffee meeting. And that's okay. We get together once a month, every six weeks, and we talk about life. We talk about parenting. We talk about work, husbanding, Jesus, what we're learning. That's mentoring. He wouldn't put it this way, probably, but I'm being discipled by him. On the other hand, I meet with an Asbury student once a week for coffee. We have a standing Thursday morning time. We've missed the past two weeks, uh, but there's been a lot going on. But that's mentorship. That's discipleship. Maybe you go over to someone's house. You run errands with them. I told first service, this is not in my notes. I just thought about it in the moment. When, uh, when Pastor Steve was still here, some of the best conversations I had with him were in his truck. We would 
there was something about it. We, I just went and ran errands with him. And we would sit and talk about deep things. Run errands. Do laundry with them. Play a sport or a board game with them. And then just talk about Jesus. Talk about life. That's discipleship. If you don't have someone who is that for you, find someone. And if you don't know where to start, reach out to us at First Alliance. Use the QR code that Hannah talked about earlier. Talk with me or another staff member. I love to connect people. There are so many godly people in this church who can be that for you. This is a bold statement, but I stand by it. If you're a follower of Jesus and you're not being discipled, you're missing out on a key component of life with Christ. As I look at scripture, it's really hard for me to not see that as essential to walking with Jesus. So that's the first group. Secondly, those of you who love the Lord but are not discipling or mentoring someone, it's time to take that step. But Dan, I don't know if I'm ready. I don't know if I have the time. I don't know if I'm mature enough in my faith. I don't know if I, I don't have it all together. I'm messed up. What do I have to offer? Guess what? I would venture to guess that when Jesus gave the commissioning, go and make disciples of all nations, Peter felt the exact same way. James and John, who had literally wanted to nuke a city, felt the exact same way. Simon, Andrew, Bartholomew, Mary Magdalene, Philip, they all felt the same way. So Jesus adds this line at the end. Behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Okay, so Jesus is with me? Yeah, maybe I could do that then. Jesus calls us into that. You're a disciple? Go make more. And that's what we want to see here at FAC, a loving community of disciple makers. So if you're not discipling someone, reach out to an individual or two. First Alliance has been gifted with a ton of college students, some of whom have just accepted Jesus for the first time, many of whom have had a powerful encounter with God in the past two weeks, a generation who needs older, wiser believers to come alongside them. But it doesn't even have to be a high school or college student. We all need to be discipled. That was the first part of the group that I was talking about. Find someone who is a life stage or two behind you and ask to mentor them. If you're 80, look for somebody in their 60s. If you're 60, look for somebody in their 30s or 40s. You get the picture. And I copied and pasted what I said a minute ago in my notes. There's not a cookie cutter answer for how this should look. Maybe you can't do a standing weekly meeting, but you can get together once a month or every six weeks. That's discipleship. Maybe you are able to meet once a week for lunch or for coffee or whatever else you do during the week. That's mentorship. That's discipleship. Have them tag along for errands. Pick them up. Hopefully you do laundry sometimes. Have them 
help with that. Play pickleball or Monopoly. And while you do those things, talk about Jesus. Talk about life. That's mentorship. That's discipleship. And if you aren't discipling someone and you have no idea where to start, reach out to us at First Alliance. Use the QR code that Hannah talked about earlier. Talk with me or someone on staff. I love to connect people. Shoot us an email. We would love to connect you with someone in our church who's ready to be discipled. How cool could it be that tomorrow I get 10 emails from someone who says, I'm ready to be discipled, and 10 emails from someone who says, I want to disciple someone? Could it be that we could be known as a church who walks alongside each other. Jesus was constantly challenging people to move from the big group experience, the large group teachings, the Sermon on the Mount, the feeding the 5,000, and into a deeper personal relationship. That's hard. In fact, he has several teachings where people who are following him literally say, that's a hard teaching. Yes, but I'm going to come alongside you. I'm going to encourage you. I'm going to equip you. You're not going to be alone. And that's what he calls us to do as well. So where are you in your journey? Are you being discipled, mentored, whatever you want to call it, getting together to talk about Jesus? If not, now's the time to reach out to someone. Are you discipling someone? If not, now's the time to reach out to someone. Let's be a loving community of disciple makers who journey alongside each other from the mountaintop moments, the beautiful glory dazzle filled moments to the deep valleys of need. From one day to the next day to the next day to the next. Jesus, thank you for your example. I love watching your life, how you move, how you teach, how you equip, how you rebuke, but also how you laugh, how you play. And I'm so thankful for the people in my life that I can do that with such a formative piece of my journey with you. That we have these mountaintop moments, I have these mountaintop moments, but then I think about what Eugene Peterson says, that this is a long obedience in the same direction. And I need somebody to walk alongside me in that. And I pray that we would be known as a church who does that together. You've uniquely placed us 11 miles away from something that beautiful that's happened, but there's always a next day. And I pray that we would act and move accordingly. In your name, amen. Thanks for listening. Here at First Alliance Church, our mission is to passionately pursue God, extend life-changing hope, and disciple people to be spirit-empowered followers of Jesus. To learn more about our church or to hear other sermons like this one, visit us at facelex.com.